ACAST. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Who died in 1971. Fashion. Black dress. Halston? Perfume. <laughs> I stay Lauder. No, a, a black dress. Just a black dress. Oh, come on. Every woman has a black dress because of this woman. Audrey Hepburn. Coco Chanel. Okay. Ah, so that's very rough. nice. That is rough. Okay. Uh, second person. Who I was died like... this bit? <laughs> 50 years of music with 50 year old white guys. today oh my gosh this is this is a uh, our, our first early morning recording correct ben do you have a cup of that's tea, right a cup of coffee anything oh dude i've already had two cortados i'm ready to roll okay jeff simon's rolling out of bed in berkeley anything in your system not nothing i woke up uh 17 minutes ago and it was 17 minutes too early i'm, I'm glad <laughs> is, you it is 7 a.m in uh california dear I'm, listeners i'm glad you got all your prep done for the podcast uh last night uh-huh. um so you're still in berkeley i'm in somerville ben to the islands you've gone that's right beautiful nantucket massachusetts here with my nice. family the extended uh barton clan well I t- i'll tell you uh listeners those of you who are 50 years or older we are in the midst of bringing uh, children to colleges to visit. This is something that 50 year olds, uh, white otherwise, male otherwise have done. Jeff, you and Will are about to go on the road? Yeah, we'll be, I guess we'll probably be in Pennsylvania the next time we record one of these. So wow. it should be fun. Well, I am uh, I'm out of questions to ask uh, admissions people. What is the best question you asked and what is the question you wish you had left in your pocket so far, since I'm about to well, make all the same mistakes? For some reason, we, we keep asking, well, what's, uh, what's the drinking culture like? And, and it's a silly question, because every college is going to have a drinking and drug culture, correct? Did, did Haverford? Even, even uh, nerdy little Haverford had the occasional <laughs> indulgence, yes. And and so it's much more important, like, for the kid to figure out how to navigate it rather than like, oh, no, we do not 
we do not drink at school X. Or Any school that says there's no drinking is definitely full of sociopaths, wouldn't you say? Right. Like, yeah, okay. But also I have my actual advice on this uh-huh. is um, I did the college tours and um, not India partially because she was running for mayor and was busy, but partially because she is an inveterate and really pretty good question asker. Oh, and the girls and I decided that it was better to go with the no question asker. <laughs> and right. So if anybody, like if the girls had a question, Dolly would sometimes ask a question. But I mean, otherwise we just was like passively receive the information, yep. which is weirdly informative. Because the, the, like they pick and choose what they tell you. And like you go, like we, we visited mostly small liberal arts colleges with both Dahlia and Georgia. Although Dahlia, a couple of bigger schools. It was super funny. It's like how they choose to present themselves. You're visiting identical places in slightly different locations. Right, yeah, exactly. And yet the presentation style yeah. is radically different. Right. Super different. And some of that is chance. Like if your tour guide is a dud, then you're just like, wow, that I hated that school. That school. <laughs> but sometimes you get an amazing tour guide and you'll be like, wow. Like, wow that's what a school. Surely yeah. everyone is just like that. That's yeah. the that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, oh, you have a community here? Oh, oh, you uh, practice social justice? Like, I mean, it's amazing how they're all, they're all the same. And that's what I tell my kid. Like, you're going to meet great people. You're going to learn a lot of things. It doesn't matter where you go to school. And apparently you're not going to do a lot of drinking. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> Wait, are you asking because you're anti-drinking or pro-drinking? I, I really don't know. First of all, well, TV, are you like in the, there's the whole group and they've just done their presentation. Like, did anybody have a question? Do you raise your hand? And you're like, where do you get down? Where do you partake? Hey, I'm going to be in town Friday night. Hell, is there a dorm party I should know about? <laughs> you know what they called me in college? Um, yeah, I went to the University of Dayton, Ben Barton, and um, that I was struck by the drinking culture, uh, literally. Beer can right off the head. <laughs> hey, um, um, at Tim's Bar in Dayton, Ohio, they served beer for eleven fifty. Filled up a bucket, the kind of bucket you would wash your car with, and they would bring the bucket to your table and throw like six plastic cups in it, and then you and your buddies would just go. Whoop, whoop, whoop. It's good times, Dayton, Ohio. Are you sure it's actually called Tim's Bar, or were you just so drunk? <laughs> The- <laughs> like, this is my bar. Like, it's Tim's bar now. <laughs> okay, let's move on. This is 1971. Welcome to 50 Years of Music with 50 Year Old White Guys here on the Music City Drive-In Podcast Network. Go to musiccitydrivein.com to get all your uh, fix for podcasts, sports, celebrities, the whole shebang. Um Let's go. We got the uh, Grammy winner. This is the best album of 1971. Jeff Simons, do you have beef with this? Nope. All right. Hit it. Good good record. And this is my favorite song from it. It's the Grammy winner. Tapestry by Carole King.
One of the all-time, I mean, I I can't tell you how beautiful I think that song is. I Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow is one of the 20 prettiest things I've ever heard in my life. Wow. I just think anybody who wrote that deserves at least a few minutes of recognition. It's like the Danny boy of uh, <laughs> rock and roll. Just an absolutely perfect, beautiful piece of writing. I love that song. I love every version of it I've ever heard. And this is Tapestry, that's the record? This yeah. is Tapestry, yeah. So Carol King is a songwriter for the Brill Building, which is in, in what was called Tin Pan Alley in New York City, where Woo! lots of hit songs were generated. And uh, after writing all of these incredible hit songs for other artists, she decided to make her own version of these songs um, and expected it to sell like, 5,000 copies like just pulled pulled a bunch of favors and strings to put out her own version and it was a shocking runaway gargantuan monster hit it's one of the all-time best-selling records ever it's oh, really great um and she's and these are all songs that are made famous by other artists first that she reclaims on this record um who who, who sang will you still love me tomorrow uh the Shirelles. The Shirelles. yeah and uh you know um you've got a friend uh is on here uh way over yonder Natural it's too late woman. so far away i feel the earth move like it's just one you know it's a it's a lifetime of great writing turned into uh um and i believe she wrote most of these with her then ex-husband like gary goffin um so it's also reclamation like they had split up i believe and she was kind of um it's a record that mourns the end of that relationship by reclaiming those songs for herself. Oh, but yeah, it's, it's uh, it's good stuff. I did not. It's funny. Like there's lots of Carol King records through the seventies and none of the rest of them no. stick out to me, one. but it's because, you know, you spend a whole life writing the first record and then six months writing the second record. <laughs> so you know, I remember uh, a few cool. years ago, we drove to Canada and in between listening to Harry Potter, I would play that album for the kids. Um, and they liked it. They thought it was a good album. So that's a win. Let's go I to- like it. I don't care for it. I never liked Carol King. I like, <laughs> I just don't like it. What's not to like about that? There's nothing wrong with that. I hate the earth moves under my feet. I don't like that version of the song. I still like it. There's something that bugs me. You got a friend? When, uh, oh well uh, what bugs you about it is it's it's music to make macrame potholders too right i mean it's That's, so 70s yes yeah. i mean like you should you can hear people passing around a casserole of or, or of organic uh oh my god fava beans while this is in the background like it is of its moment for sure but it's i mean well of, of the of those kinds of things like i think it's uh I give. I totally can give it a pass. Ben will just have to burn his hands as he takes the pot out because he will not have any potholders. 
events of the year 1971, <laughs> Idi Amin arises to power, uh, cigarette ad ads are banned uh, from television, All in the Family debuts, Starbucks is founded in Seattle, an awful- Not, um, by, not by the guy who bought it, right? This not is right. Howard Schultz is gonna buy it in the 80s and it'll become what we know it as now. Yeah. Um, Awful, awful football match disaster in Scotland. Um, the Celtics vs. Rangers kill 66 people. Like some sort of stairway crush. 66 it's the first people. of those, right? This is the one yeah. that nobody knows about because it wasn't on TV, but it's like Hillsborough. And, and, it is uh, going to be on yeah. TV, yeah. Um, in 1971, Ivan Koloff defeats Bruno San Martino, ending a nearly eight-year reign for San Martino as world wrestling champion. That's just a little before our time. You know, we would always hear about Bruno San Martino, but we wouldn't really know him. Who's the wrestler from your childhood who sticks out most in your mind, whether he's champion or, or not? <laughs> wrestling? Wrestling quiz? Uh, yeah. Andre I the Giant, that. I guess, from my childhood. I mean, uh, when we were teenagers, when that when the blew up, yeah, but well, I never watched it. I was never into it. Oh, I, never I was into was it for guy. sure. I, I really, really liked it. it. Yeah. Um, I was too busy making macrame uh, potholders. Ric Flair was great. I was a huge Ric Flair guy. And so the okay. fact that Ric Flair has been reborn as a rat magnet. <laughs> just, <laughs> and if you're a grown up and don't know what I'm talking about, just search Ric Flair alligator shoes and you. Oh. Ric Flair losing his mind about how awesome he is, and it's like a rap magnet. Like they love it. They name drop Ric Flair all the time. It's huh? That's hilarious. Uh, I'm gonna go with um, the Von Erics. Anyone watch the Von Erics? No. The Von Traps. They are also a rap. Carrie <laughs> <laughs> Von Eric, Kevin Von Eric, David Von Eric. Uh, I like the guy with bare feet. He'd go out there with bare feet. He was an incredible athlete. Um, all right, I'll send you. I'll send you all some footage. Very nice. Yeah, foot wrestling. And I don't know why it never it never clicked with me. Oh my gosh, you're crazy. All right, which concert would you most like to have seen? There are four concerts from 1971. I'm going to throw at you. Are you ready? Now think about your answer carefully. There's a Frank Zappa concert in Montreux, Switzerland, which is very famous. No, thanks. The concert for Bangladesh. Um, I'm going to pick the show that they recorded. The Almond Brothers play the Fillmore East. I know they played there a ton, but let's go with the one they recorded. Uh, and then Pink Floyd live at Pompeii. Uh, which one are you going to go to, Ben Barton? I'm going to go to the concert that's my album choice for the year. So ah, so we can't talk. So you really love Pink Floyd at Pompeii, huh? That's awesome. Yeah, that one, I, I, I mean, I guess, like, honestly, I guess I would go to Bangladesh because there would be something there I might kind of like, but the uh -huh. rest are hard no. <laughs> Yeah. Exclamation point, no. So, Jeff Simons, the what do you think? The Apple one, literally, he would come on and he'd start playing and I would just go to the bathroom. That would be it. 
Well, you like wouldn't because of the building. You wouldn't because the building caught on fire. Yeah. That's the smoke on the water show where everybody almost dies. <laughs> yeah. Oh, better yeah. yet. Honestly, when the fire started, I would be like, well, surely I'll die soon and this experience will end. Just bring it. Bring the I would fire. go see The Who at, uh, the, at the Cow Palace in San Francisco on the next to last night of The Who's Next Tour. Uh, okay. I would trade my tickets to somebody. You trade all four of those opportunities. But I'd, I'd, no, I'd go, of those four, I'd go see the Allman Brothers. Okay. Sure. Uh, how many artists play the concert for Bangladesh? It's like a dozen, right? Is it? I mean, okay. Dylan's there and, and uh, Ravi Shankar and George. And yeah, it's, have you ever listened to the concert for Bangladesh? It's pretty sloppy. I haven't, I haven't, no. I mean, it's listenable, but it's definitely like. It's listenable in spots. There's spots yeah. where it's not acceptable. Yeah. All right. Um, That's let's... one of the easiest records to find in a used record store, too. It's in a brown box. The box <laughs> is always broken. There's always like one of the three records missing or the poster. But like they made a bunch of those records. Yeah. And then people were like, I'm good and returned them very quickly. All right. Other <laughs> events of 71. Ed Sullivan uh, goes off the air. What a career he had, uh, especially in terms of music and introducing musical artists. Uh, Pentagon papers are published. We've got a Supreme Court case for Ben Barton. Swan v. Charlotte Mecklenburg Board of Education. It's not about contracts. Is, that is the it what? Case? Is it that the busing is case? the busing case. Uh, the Supreme Court says that busing is allowed to be used to achieve racial desegregation. It is okay. Thumbs up. I hope, I hope uh, it goes well in, in Boston when they have that. Uh, <laughs> That's one of the all-time photos, man, with that, that oh, protester God, in the flag. Killer. Yeah. Yeah. That's a killer photo. Um, all right. As I was researching 1971... There's this mention on Wikipedia of Reggie Jackson's home run in the All-Star game. And I'm like, oh, big deal. Reggie Jackson hit a home run. But it talks about it going off the, uh, the lights at Detroit's Tiger Stadium. Tiger Stadium, right? And I'm like, hit it wait out a minute. Of, out of I'm like, Tiger Stadium. Stadium. Yeah. So I clicked on it. You guys got to YouTube this. It's just he tattoos this ball. It, it doesn't go like down the line. It's right center over the roof hits the lights um that guy could hit a ball yep that's amazing i i went to a couple games at old tiger stadium when i was in law school and that's uh, like that's unimaginable I don't yeah. know. Um, Fielder, remember when cecil fielder did it and, and uh i mean he did the same thing um at the height of his close your eyes and swing as hard as you can baseball career and uh <laughs> And as soon as he did it, people were bringing up that home run. And I actually Reggie went Jackson's. to a game there with you, Ben, at Old Tiger oh, nice. Gigantic and triple deck in the outfield. Like, yeah. yeah. It was a huge play. So to check out Reggie Jackson's all-star home run from 71. Speaking of home runs, let's talk about the best-selling album of the year. Released in 1971, the best-selling album in 1971. I can't wait to hear which song Jeff picks. Go. Oh, which song? I was going to do the... I'll do the one that annoys me the most. How about that? Okay, awesome. All right, that's great. And then we'll talk, we'll talk about the one that was... The one that everybody knows. But this, this one just drives me crazy. Ready? It's the number one album. 
Jesus Christ Superstar by the original studio cast. What's the buzz? Tell me what's happening. 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 What should you want to know? Don't you mind about the future? Don't you try to think ahead Save tomorrow for tomorrow Think about today instead Oh yeah Oh I could give you facts and figures How can you not like that song? Let's see, the, the whole ensemble cast on the stage boogieing down What the hell is that? What is that? <laughs> It's Jesus Christ Superstar. Are you serious? That song yeah. is in that dumb show? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So many. Amazing. And that was the best-selling record of the year? Best-selling record of 1971. America has the worst taste. That is just <laughs> brutal. And also, by the way, I, I can tell you what the, the fuss is. Freaking yeah. 1971. It's a toilet bar go. We're in Vietnam. The world's falling apart. <laughs> Having it like throwing a keyboard solo on top of it just yeah yeah that's a heck of a keyboard solo um so oh, man and this is out. the first this is the record that that foists andrew lloyd weber on us for the next three decades too right like right. me and kim rice have carte blanche after this to make starlight express and all the other cats cat well i know i was gonna save cats for later <laughs> so so hair comes first kind of breaks the mold of what a, a musical is and then jesus christ superstar i mean did you guys see this movie when you were young did you uh, did you guys i did yes it freaked me out yes it's all like close camera i gotta be honest like the the sound and filming style of this movie and early porn are the same yes like this has an I early mean, porn no, sorry, music I, now. I don't know. And it's like, porn, you're, you're, really close, that. Just... you're really close to the faces and like they're moving yeah. around and it's <laughs> grainy. And like, I, mean, I just found this movie deeply troubling. I came across it at age like four or five on television. And it's just like, what am I looking at? And well, it's funny you say that because two other movies come out in 71 that had um, profound impact on me as a child. Uh, Willy Wonka oh, yeah. uh, freaked me out. And then I was visiting relatives in Rochester and they had me in the TV room on a couch and I'm like nine years old and they had HBO and I'm like, Oh, what's on? I watched a clockwork orange at like nine. Oh, that'll really bad. That was bad, man. I, I actually don't know if I've made it all the way through a clockwork orange in one sitting. Like George that's... and I just rewatched it. It's on the, the AFI top 100. So yeah. we, uh, we watch it. And it was a puzzling rewatch. It, on the one hand, it's a powerful work of art because I'm not going to forget it. I've seen it twice now, or maybe three times. But I mean, George is like, oh, that's burned on my brain. But it's a horrible, grueling, right. miserable experience. Yeah, yeah. and I, I've never made it all the way through because of that. Yeah. Like, it's just like, I, I don't think I saw it until I, the first time I tried, I was a junior in high school. And uh, I couldn't make it. And then I tried again when I was like 25 or 26. And I don't think I've watched, I've tr even tried to watch it since. I think Jeff will, be fine. Jeff will know that we'll remember this. I can't, what's the, there's a Rolling Stones album that has that weird mumbling on the back written by Andrew Luke Oldham, you know what I'm talking about? 
Yeah. It's got like a, ooh, me droogies and stuff. Um, and so I saw it in high school because I was so into the Rolling Stones. I was like, oh, if, if this guy likes yeah. it. And I was like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, let's let's give a sound bite to Ben Barton of the album from 1971 that is the all-time bestseller. Oh, okay. Just a little a little riff. Well, I don't know. It's It's so obscure. I don't know if he'll be able to pick it up. But uh, you got to name it as quickly as possible, Ben Barton. He'll, he'll be okay. Hold on. I, I got the sound down on the second. Ready? I'll give you one second. Ah, Led Zeppelin Four. Very nice. <laughs> Excellent. And they do, in fact, debut Stairway to Heaven uh, in concert before the album is released. You know, I have a bootleg from, I have a bootleg of Zeppelin from 71 where Stairway to Heaven's in the middle of the set because nobody knows it. Uh -huh. So like it's funny because you like you know they play four or five songs and everybody knows them they're freaking out and then they play Stairway and at the end people are like well that was that was long you can tell they're like oh, it's pretty good but wow that was like eleven well, minutes and then a year later it's the last song and everyone's freaking out but it, it is funny to hear like I mean the same is true of Won't Get Fooled Again in '71 it was the it was in the middle of the set yeah and people were still getting used to it you know. All right, well, um, we got to get to our three albums. But before we do, by popular demand, Who Died uh, is making a comeback here in 1971. Oh, yes! <laughs> this is a contest between the two of you. I'll say a word. You guys begin guessing. Person number one, who died in 1971. Fashion. Black dress. Halston? Perfume. <laughs> I stay Lauder. No, a, a black dress. Just a little black dress. Oh, come on. Every woman has a black dress because of this woman. Audrey Hepburn. Coco Chanel. Okay. Ah, so that's very rough. nice. That was rough. Okay. Uh, second person. Who I was died like, this bit? <laughs> <laughs> I was like... I picked three this time, so there wouldn't be a tie. I know, and, dude. And also, and I, I, be I, again, I criticized Jeff last week for not selling you, Timmy. That's about me. That's not you. That's, <laughs> that's me. Okay. Our job to sell you, baby. That's right. All right. Uh, musician. Orphan. New Orleans. <sighs> Louis Armstrong? Thank you. Dear God. Yes. Louis Armstrong. Well There's done. one or two musicians from New Orleans. Like, I love your orphans. I an orphan. Yeah. All right. Last, oh, so one nothing, Jeff. Golfer. Oh, not I a Philadelphia 70, not a Philadelphia 76er. Ben Hogan. Sam Sneed. That's good. That's good, old golfer. That's good, old golfer. Not a Philadelphia 76er. Doesn't that help? Mike Jaminski? <laughs> he was a 76 <laughs> the G-Man, was he also a golfer who uh, died? And this guy, uh, so the golfer had the same name as the Philadelphia 76er, and I couldn't stand this guy. Uh, Julius Bobby, Irving? Bobby Jones. Uh, oh, yeah. Bobby Jones, okay. Oh, boy. Do I cut boy, the that, bit? You turned up the heat on that one. <laughs> so in other words, 1971 was not a year we have to really remember in terms of those dearly departed. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Wasn't that, wasn't that painful in that way? 
Um, let's go. Our three albums. Our three albums. All right. So Jeff and I had a negotiation. I kind of yoinked him last week. I jumped the line and made sure I got my pick last week. This week, I'm going to let Jeff do his thing. He's going to get oh. the obvious record for this year. All right. And am I going to go first? Yeah. That's right. Okay. Um, Saskatchewan is beautiful this time of year, I'm told, though I've never been. Um, Saskatoon in particular. And I bring this up because Saskatoon, Saskatchewan is fun to say. So I might say it at least one more time in this introduction, but it's also the middle of it. You know, it's not uh, the epicenter of popular culture, which is why the, the rise of this artist is a kind of an interesting story. And um, this is a record that um, was universally praised since its release. And, uh, and by the end of the decade was kind of considered uh pretty remarkably influential in the way people started to write songs and think about themselves as artists. But in the last, I don't know, last three years, it has uh, enjoyed a kind of stratospheric revisitation. And in fact, in the Rolling Stone top 500 records of all time list that was released this year, it is at number three. Um, and it's, it's because it's enjoying its 50th anniversary, it's, it's being re-released, it's being reconsidered. Um, and so I'm interested to talk about this record with all of, with you all today, because um, it's having its moment maybe more so than ever in its history, including when it was uh, initially popular. Um, and the record is Joni Mitchell's Blue. Uh, this is not Joni Mitchell's first record. Uh, it is her fifth. I believe. Um, Joni's recording career starts in 1963. Um, she makes her first record in 66. Um, there are very famous songs on Joni's records before Blue. Uh, Big Yellow Taxi, The Circle Game, Cactus Tree, um, The Conversation, The Priest. She writes the song Woodstock that becomes a big hit for Crosby, Stills and Nash. And she's certainly a known uh, commodity. She's living in Laurel Canyon. She's having a relationship with uh, uh, each member of Crosby, Stills and Nash one by one. Um, Blue is a huge game changer for me. Like if, if Joni Mitchell's career had stopped with the record that came before this Ladies of the Canyon, I think um, people would speak about her in the same way that Ben spoke of Carol King and Tapestry. Like, sure, kind of a remarkable voice, multi-octave, um, an interesting sounding record, a pretty good guitar player. Um, but I don't think she would, um, she would have been, uh, she would now be in the pantheon of, of influential. Blue is a big shift in her career because she starts to write about herself in a confessional way that, um, singer-songwriters were not doing yet, and especially female singer-songwriters. Like, there were deeply moving songs, obviously, written before 1971, um, but they were, and sometimes they were about the artist, but there was usually a degree of separation, right? Um, the, the artists would use he or she to write about themselves, or they would write about themselves, but they would couch the details, right? Like, Bob Dylan is famously says like, you should never take anything I write about myself. And anytime I use I I'm Rambo, like I is another, 
even if he was obviously writing about his wife, he was. Um, and, you know, Dylan wrote Sad Eyed Lady of the Lowlands in 1966 about Sarah by after Blue and after the singer songwriter confessional movement that she ushers in takes place by 1975. The song about Sarah that Bob Dylan writes is called Sarah, in which he says, remember when I stayed up all night at the Chelsea Hotel writing Sad Eyed Lady of the Lowlands for you. <laughs> right. Joni Mitchell is the is the turning point of that of that knife edge. Um, Blue is a record about love, love affairs. It's about people she knows. Um, it is about the intimate details of those relationships. It is a diary come to life. That's not what makes it great. Blue is not a great record because Joni Mitchell is letting us in behind the curtain and, and telling us the, de the sordid details of her personal life. It's a great record because she um, is a fantastic musician. First of all, she's one of the all-time great singers. Um, even if Joni Mitchell's voice is a little too twee and precious at times, and I think it, at, at Joni's, when she overindulges the, the, the sonic quality of her voice, it's, I don't like it as much, but the woman can sing five different octaves. Um, she's an amazing guitar player, not just a good one. Um, Joni Mitchell um, uses alternate tunings uh, better than just about anybody who's ever done it. Like uh, if you try to play these songs, um, they won't sound right when you pick up an acoustic guitar. You're like, well, I know these chords. They won't sound right because she's um, radically restrung and or retuned the instrument. This flight tonight, which is one of my favorite songs in the record, takes the E string and tunes it down to low G, and then takes the A string and turns it down to the G one octave above. And so the droning low G sound that you get is just a six string acoustic guitar, but it's a six string acoustic guitar just reconsidered as an instrument. I'll just play the first yeah, two seconds so you can I hear it. I want to understand that. You can hear it's kind of buzzy and droney. Yeah. It's almost impossible to control the strings when they're down tuned that loosely. And then, but like, that's such a cool sound. I remember spending like half an hour trying to figure out how to, you know, and I just pitch matched that low. And then as I'm moving my way up the guitar and like, and you know, and it's not something that people were doing necessarily like drop D tuning was popular because of uh, blues playing and slack key, but to each song having its own individual tuning on the acoustic guitar was a new thing. The other thing is she uses, unusual instruments some um, there's dulcimer all over this record yeah appalachia which is, um which is My why people. um there you go <laughs> and and uh greece as well greece would would have like to have a word with you about the dulcimer but uh okay but you know, she um so she's using instruments that aren't traditionally rock and roll instruments and playing them like rock and roll instruments it would be i mean if she was plucking a dulcimer and uh it would it would sound like uh it would sound like something that this podcast would almost surely make fun of. It, you know, it would like it would be sound like a sting loot record. But the fact that she takes a dulcimer and then strums it hard like a like a rock and roll guitar player takes those instruments and reclaims them. Um, and just one beautiful song after another. The first song is my favorite. I'll play that a little bit of that one. But uh, you know, uh, Carrie is just a tremendous song. California, like those of us who live in California, like every kid I know born in California claims California as there for themselves as if no right. one else has ever done it. Um, this flight tonight, River, A Case of You, 
you could make a you could make a case as being the best song on the record. It was Prince's all-time favorite song, and Prince actually does a a remarkable cover of a case of you, as do, as do many other people. Um, it's not a very long record, um, uh, so it comes and goes. It's about thirty-five minutes, so it it, okay. it packs a wallop in its economy, um, and uh, it's in a remarkably sexist era of who gets to make records and who decides who makes records. Joni Mitchell uh, finds a way to survive and yeah. thrive and make a record that, that um, is tremendously influential, like not just on female singer songwriters, but as I said, on, on males, I don't think, uh, I don't think James Taylor's career uh, exists without blue. I don't think, uh, Paul Simon's solo career sustains itself the way it does without Blue. I don't think uh, Dylan comes back and reinvents himself on Blood on the Tracks without Blue's influence. And Joni's career is really hit and miss. Like Blue's not the beginning of a run of 10 fantastic records. In fact, she's on and off even after that. I don't find the next record, which is For the Roses, as nearly as compelling. I'm a big fan of Court and Spark, which comes in 1974. But then the records get longer and weirder. They become double records. There's 17 yeah. minute songs. She starts collaborating with jazz musicians. She makes a record with Charles Mingus right before he dies. Uh, she's a wandering spirit. And, uh, and I admire the ambition and the effort, but it, it all, the ambition and the natural talent and the songwriting skill and the arrangement and the just the um, uh, intensity or of focus all mm. comes together on this record for me um and here's the first minute of uh anyway, before you play it just yeah listen carefully to the guitar part okay yes the little weird rhythm and solo that she does and how like it it's a little bit discordant and it's exactly for the reason jeff said it's a really unusual tuning and her playing is just off the hook this is my favorite one on it too oh but good it, if you want to hear the difference between her and Carol King, or you want to hear the difference between her and Cat Stevens, I mean, the artist okay. of this song and the sheer playing is just yep. unbelievable. Blue by Joni Mitchell. Best Woo. opening lyrics yeah. to a record I've ever Woo. heard. 
you know, and, and I'll say this, like I credit blue for making me a better guy in the sense that like, I am on a lonely road and I am traveling, looking for something. What could it be? Like I have, I have tried to write and rewrite and rewrite that song unsuccessfully my entire life. And I have felt that way so often, especially when I was younger, especially when I, before I had a family, especially when I hadn't really figured out who I am. Right. And then that I hate you some, I love you some, like how many early relationships were you in that that's the, that's the tombstone. And then, and then it becomes a feminized version of that. Do you want to dance with me, baby? Do you, I'm going to wreck my stockings and jukebox out. I think this song in some ways, like unmasculinized that, like I'm the lonely road traveler who's Mm. complex and complicated and things I hate and love. It takes that and it reminds the, the, the 15 year old boy who heard it like, it's not only men who feel that way. Like right. women are not just a conduit for your search for identity. They are their own people who have their own search for identity that's going on. And I think that's, um, I, I just find that that's the, one of the most powerful things about Blue is it's, it's a record by a woman that details the internal struggles that men are feeling we just didn't and reminds yeah. reminds everyone that they are not male struggles they are human struggles and oh, that's totally. that's yeah. what cat stevens is lacking for me is that that universe that universality right. and it's a little why bit is, what carol king stevens because i find cat stevens particularly i'm still mad about like those songs like that's not it's father to son Right. And they are. And and, and I don't feel like I feel like Joni Mitchell is writing about herself, but she's also trying to figure out the guy who's making her feel the way she's feeling. It's a Mm -hmm. really generous investigation of the self, because while she is looking inward, she's looking outward at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I I just uh, all of the songs on the record have that have that duality, like they are deeply revealing. And at the same time, they are they forgive they forgive herself for her own mistakes at the same time forgiving the people who made the mistakes that caused her to feel the way that she does so great record ben thanks for letting me have it i would have chosen this one this was an easy mark it down in pen the first time i wrote the the list um i absolutely positively love this record i'll echo some of the things jeff said first like that feminist piece to it it's a it's a super au courant, like second wave, third wave feminist album. You know what I mean? Like it's mm. got a search for love, but it's very sexual too. Like it's got a whole vibe to it that is still being played out. Yeah, It is one of the most influential records of the 70s, if not the most. Like all of my favorite female singer-songwriters of the last decade and the and last decades are still playing out this exact field. Like there's so much room here. It's so expansive, the, the, the space that she creates that we're still filling it in. Interesting work is still coming out of this genre that she basically creates. Um, and it was like super influential in the time. Like it's funny, mm-hmm. Zeppelin 4. Zeppelin 4 and Zeppelin 3 are explicit Joni Mitchell records. Like, like uh, Paige loved Joni Mitchell, loved her playing and Zeppelin 3 in particular is an attempt to just like recreate that sound. 
it's amazing how good her guitar work is and how pretty the songs are. And the point I'll to say, the point that I'm sorry, go ahead. I'll just say no, no, you go. Riff I was just say to the point that like when she tours in nineteen in the nineteen seventies, she has the best band on earth. Like it's the basically weather report with Joni Mitchell in front of it. Jaco Pastorius on bass, like the absolute very best players on earth and you can't and she's the star like oh yeah dude, they're clips, backing her they are right. backing her that's I mean, not that's like how, that's how talented she is what a star she is like you know that she the that that any one of those guys in the band is the best is arguably the best player at his instrument in that moment and they they just can't they can't steal the spotlight from her it's remarkable um i would say i like the guitar songs a lot better than the piano songs and part of that is because I'm a guitar person, but the piano songs are just so much more ballady and less interesting to me than the guitar songs. Because um, the guitar ones tend to be more off-tempo and just generally her guitar, her, I mean, her, she's a, an excellent piano player and a great songwriter, but she's an out of this world acoustic guitar. Yeah, and she can't, uh, you can't untune a piano. I mean, it really is interesting. Like the <laughs> thing that's so remarkable about her is she could, she took an instrument that people had played for 600 years and completely reimagined it. And you just, you can't do that with an acoustic piano. Like you're just locked into the way it's set up. Yeah. And I, I think that's why the piano songs don't shine in the same way because they're not, they, they're not groundbreaking sonically in the way that they, the other songs are. I mean, you hear all I want I and then you, you go into my old man and like, I agree with you, Ben, like the first time I heard the record, I was like, Ooh, that's a, it's a come down. Like, to come away from this thing that does that sounds like nothing else yeah the last thing i'll add is um she's a great storyteller she's a great songwriter she is fucking a hilarious this has got some of the funniest lyrics of any folk record period <laughs> that i think the second is it the second verse of all i want where she's like i want to shampoo you i want to tattoo you i'm like yeah. what is happening here i want to tattoo you i want like, to it starts on that like life mission statement that jeff described which i agree is just couldn't be more perfect but uh -huh. in the middle she's so goofy and weird and California is packed with that. She's like, yeah, Greece. Like I stole my camera, and now I miss California. Yeah, <laughs> freaking hilarious. I'll even kiss a sunset pig, right? Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> awesome. All right, Ben, what do you got? All righty then. In now, this is recorded in 1971, not released until I think 92. I'll just be right up front about it. This is the James Brown Love Power Peace. Love okay. Paris, 1971. This is with the original JBs. This is, and most of this group goes on to be Parliament Funkadelic. Um, these are, this is the greatest collection of funk talent ever to be seen on one stage, in my opinion. The show is off the hook great. Uh -huh. The band is hilarious. So it's James Brown and then Bobby Bird is the holdover from the last band. And basically during this period, you know, I, I've praised James Brown's artistry and I do it. love the guy, but he's a, just a high riding prick. Like he has one band after another quit, leave. He's not paying them. Like there's all these weird disputes and he's like, I'm James Brown. He just gets a whole new band. Like he's just not. <laughs> uh so bobby bird's the band leader and he basically puts this band together for him there's a heavy food theme amongst them you got clayton chicken gunnels on trumpet 
You got Phelps Catfish Collins on lead guitar, Harlan Cheese Martin. You got Cheese and Catfish together on the two guitar parts. Lucy <laughs> Collins. Uh, these, they record all of that great, great, great material. They record Sex Machine. Um, all of the big James Brown hits from 70 and 71 are this band. This is the only good recording of them. Um, they recorded enough. They were going to put out a three album live set of it. Band leaves to become Parliament Funkadelic and James Brown holds this material despite them. He won't put the record out in seven. Wow. It doesn't come out until 92 by the time he's basically in receivership and people are just telling him what to do. Um, so the record sits in the can held with nobody hearing it for all those years because James Brown wants to spite the guys who leave for um, P-Funk. Uh, James Brown live at the Apollo is arguably the greatest live record of all time um, by acclamation. I prefer this to that because I prefer the material. But it's funny, um, you know, I chose two James Brown songs for doing songs. I love James Brown, but it's hard to find an album. And the reason why is he's so sloppy in the studio. I, if he's 69 or 70, he comes out with Sex Machine, which is a double album. And I was like, oh, maybe I should choose that. I went back and listened to it. It's so freaking weird. There's like, <laughs> it's theoretically a concert that's not a concert. There's a part that's theoretically in the studio that is a concert. It's just a freaking mess. I mean, it's got a half dozen amazing songs on it, but I couldn't choose it as album of the year. Um, as a live act and in collection, this is why Live with the Apollo is his best-selling record of all time, is because he never puts out good albums. In the studio, he's just like jamming it all together. Like seriously, my favorite, the most cohesive James Brown studio album is probably his Christmas album which oh I strongly oh recommend <laughs> you buy and listen to James Brown's Christmas album because it is the world's funniest thing. Career <laughs> packed with cash grabs. It's a particularly hideous cash grab. It's like James Brown Christmas, he's like, James Brown loves you. Buy James Brown records. Why aren't you buying more James Brown records? That's the end of the James Brown Christmas album. It's amazing. <laughs> Anyhow, he's on tour with this group. They play in Paris. And it's an off-the-hook set. It's a review that goes all the way back to Try Me, like some of his hits from the early 60s, all the way right up to Brother Rap with Soul Power, Get Up, Get Into It, Get Involved, Super Bad, Sex Machine, along with It's a Man's Man World, Give It Up or Turn It Loose. Like It's actually, when you listen to it, it's like a history of African-American music from wow. the 50s to the early 70s, like in a time capsule. It's crazy. It's a cover of George On My Mind. Um, and he's got the full on soul crooner with the horns in the background, all the way to the extra modern funk. And live, everything is time and a half. Like the, the, the funk songs are so fast, it sounds like a speed punk show. Like you're just like, <laughs> what is happening? Why are you going so fast? It is awesome. Um, I'm going to highlight. Last and most importantly, Bootsy Collins is the most famous member of his family. His brother, Catfish Collins, can freaking play. That James Brown guitar sound from the, the early 70s is 1,000 this guy. And when you hear him live, you'll know what I'm talking about. The guitar parts in these funk songs, like basically because it's funk and the way we've digested it since, you experience it as a bass, drums, horns sound. Yeah. It, guitar sound. It is a 100% percent 
guitar sound. The guitar, huh. all of the interesting stuff, the, not to be mean to the bass, but the guitar plays off of the bass. The guitar fills in the weird things. The repetitive um, melody that comes with the song that gets stuck in your head is all the guitar. And it's this guy, it's Catfish Collins. He's so freaking amazing and good. Just listen to his playing. Jeff, I'm gonna ask you to just play the first minute of Ain't It Funky Now. Love, Power, and Peace, live at the Olympia, Paris, 1971, by James Brown. solo i mean <laughs> freaking flies but second like this is and it's completely all over this record and it's all over those singles he's so fast but the solo is also the rhythm he's like doing the whole thing he slips in and out of the rhythm part with the solo on top of it it's amazing that's first second that's the whole song it's just james brown screaming ain't it funky now yeah solo after another yeah highlighting each member of the band. It goes from guitar to trombone to trumpet to sax. There's a long keyboard solo, which I can even stand with Bobby Bird's playing. Um, this is what I meant by it's like a soul review. This is a callback to the big bands of the 40s. This mm. James Brown saw when he was a kid in that everybody gets 12 bars to 24 bars. He's like, guitarist, take a solo. Bassist, yeah. take a solo. Organist, take a solo. And they go through the acts. And then you also just have to picture in your mind, this is one of those ones where it's a shame we don't have the video. Oh. Because while this is occurring, James Brown is freaking out. The extant film from this time is just James Brown doing splits, James Brown dancing. When he he's circling back to the mic, in a funky now, and then he takes off and he's like, <laughs> guys freaking out that it comes back through in a funky now in a funky now on the on the loop through it while he's just dancing himself sick the so they're, they're doing all the playing and he's taking yeah, all totally. the money and he's like yes um, thank you I will the last that. song the get up get into it get involved they end and they let you hear the crowd so sound and they're just chanting james brown with the french accent like yeah James Brown, James Brown, James Brown. <laughs> they cannot freaking believe what they have just seen. The amount of sweat these guys poured onto the, the thing and just the sheer artistry of it. I can't say enough about it. If you like James Brown at all and you haven't heard this show, uh, 
probably start, there's an original edited version that's just a single CD okay. set of songs. But they've released the entire show, and if you, it's worth listening to the entire show. Like, you just can't believe, and I guess, how long is the show, Jeff? Three hours? It's actually only about two hours of music, because on the record, they cut out, like, all of the, like, I can't go on, I can't go on, and, like, the seven or eight encores. But, yeah, I, I, have, the, I have the whole thing. And actually, what's funny about the whole thing is it's not tracked. It's just side one, side two, side three, side four. Like, I don't know if there was some kind of deal they worked with uh, to, to keep the CD version um, different, but uh, it's great that way. Like, why would you want to skip around? Like, you just experience it as if you're in the hall. Um, oh, yeah, no, dude, and all the talking, the band, uh, James Brown talking, the, uh, the intro, the minute-long intro, like, I wish that I had this intro with me to introduce me in every room. Like, yeah. <laughs> and to be like, but up, but but and the horns just keep going up, ramping up, and the guy's like, but let the brother rap, let the brother rap, Mr. James Brown, then he comes out, it's the best. It's great. This is a great example of why people like us um, provide a valuable service, because this is a lost record. And the only right. reason we have it, um, this is, in 1991, they release a box set of James Brown called Star Time, and it's the game changer. It actually reclaims James Brown for a whole new generation of listeners. And it's great. It, it's great. Ben points out, like, Brown's discography is a mess. There, there really isn't a great greatest hits record yet. Like, there are hit and miss and scattershot. But this is the moment when everyone's getting, anybody worthwhile is getting a four CD box set. And James Brown's is phenomenal. And the way you sell these box sets is, like, it's 80% the famous tracks and 20% stuff you've never heard. And Ain't It Funky Now is on the Star Time box set. And I mean, Ben, I'm sure you were the same thing. Like I bought that box set and I'm, and I'm hearing these James Brown songs for the first time, like well-mastered in chronological order. His career is starting to make sense. And I've listened through like all the, all the 50 stuff, all the 60 stuff, the live tracks. It's, you know, the kind of syrupy strings of the late 60s. And I hit this track and I'm like, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. Like, Ain't a Monkey Now <laughs> jumps off that box set. Like, it's better than Sex Machine. I know it's yeah, sacrosanct totally. to say that, but it's, it's so exciting. And because the box set was such an enormous hit, they release this concert the next year as wow. like, a, like, well, if you liked Ain't a Funky Now, maybe you'd like to hear the whole thing. But like, we don't get this record ever or at all without an archivist. In this case, I believe Bill Levinson, like, trolling through all of brown's material including the discarded stuff looking for nuggets and and now that's just like you know we're so used to like 50th anniversary with 74 right, alternate right. versions but like we didn't get any of that stuff until the late 80s and i would argue that star times the most important box set for an artist like an individual single artist there are some singles collection like the motown singles collection or stacks fold that are pretty important but like for a, a box set that like saved an artist from uh being a joke and reminding us what a spectacular because like the right. last time james brown had Murphy. america's attention <laughs> was living in america when he's singing right. in rocky three which is living, not him living, at his best had had the hernia. <laughs> across the nation right and he and you know, like, star time reminds us what a genius he is and this this concert in particular is an example of why it's important not to move too quickly through an artist's career and just assume that the stuff they threw away 
was bad. Wow. Great pick. Great choice. Awesome. Awesome. I just downloaded it uh, for my drive today, leaving, uh, leaving Somerville. I will be jamming to James Be careful. Brown you will get Paris. a speeding ticket if you're not careful. I, I might. It, I you will might. drive 110 miles an hour to this record. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, my album, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm still wounded uh, by the reception of my first two picks. Um, so I've, I've got a pick. And I was talking to my family last night, uh, and they were upset about my pick. And I'll tell you why. It kind of dovetails off of your two picks. Uh, here is the, the flip side of Joni Mitchell's journey is the, um, the young cad wandering the world, uh, wooing women, and then writing songs about it. This is Rod Stewart's Every Picture Tells a Story. Um, and, and I'm also... Timmy, you're back, baby. This is gold. Oh, is it? Okay, good, good, good. But, but my family was like, because I brought up the line in, in the title song uh, about the slit-eyed lady. Oh, and dude, why did you lead with that? My, my, what are you doing? Gonna, what are you doing? My family was horrified that this what? was going to be my pick. But Ben Barton, you've said uh, time and again that James Brown wasn't a great guy. Oh, he's an extra bad guy. And yet we can separate the art from his actions. And my wife's like, no, but that line is the art. I was like, <laughs> well, let's, um, which song would you guys want to play? Because there's so many good ones. I would do seems like an old, it seems like a long time. And I can't believe we didn't choose that for your family. That's where you start. All right, you can't go ahead. start with a, You can't start with. I would. I don't even want to say it. The racist slur. The you racist like, slur. Like, Hold on, I'm going to pull out the racist slur. Do you like? What it? is it with British guys in Asia uh, in, in the 19th? All right. Anyways, go ahead, Jeff Simons. Hit it. You want? Seems like a long time. I'll I'll play a minute of a different one. But I, Ben's right. This song kicks. This this is a great record. Every picture tells a story by Rod Stewart. It's great. Right? Jeff, what would you play if you had one song to play? This one. Here comes the bass. You ready? Fuzz box bass. James Brown guitar, and then yes, your love is fading. I can feel your love fading. 
drums. Yeah, I might have listened um, to this record a couple hundred times. And, and just real quick, give me give me the first 10 seconds of, of Maggie Mae, because I'm the radio guy. You didn't know this was the first 10 seconds. Oh, it yeah. is, because I'm the radio guy. That's <laughs> right. I don't, skip the first. Skip oh, the, no, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> he's got a, a, a minstrel in tights running around with him. Hilarious and it starts this way. I don't even mind this. I don't even mind this. This record's so good. Wake up, Maggie. I think I just remember being in uh, my calculus class, freshman year of college, dying from the math, didn't understand anything. And so I just started writing out. Uh, all the lyrics to Maggie May because the girl sitting next to me was named Maggie. <laughs> and I had the whole song down. Wake up, Maggie. Tim is on a lonely road and he is uh, I was on a lonely road it. at the University of Dayton. Um, uh, I love okay. this record. It's a shame. I, I actually, um, that the the slur which you've led with oh, is... Sorry. Uh, yeah, awful. I actually didn't know the lyrics to that song. Like, I'm not a guy who pays attention no, to lyrics for the right. first 30. So I, I, I loved the sound of that song and loved it as a song for years. And then one yeah. day I actually paid attention. I was like, he did not just say what I thought. And then I was embarrassed that I had like yeah. been listening to it like la, 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 without knowing. But uh, it's so, a terrific sounding record. Is there any other artist, Ben, besides Phil Collins, who was a gargantuan solo star simultaneously to being a member of a gargantuan hit band. Huh? Because Rod Stewart is making a Rod Stewart record and a faces record every four months from 1970 to 1975. And he makes like, like 14, a, a he makes like bottle, 14 records. Drinking you know? a bottle of brandy a day. <laughs> but I can't think uh -huh. of a guy who pulls it off at the same, like Phil Collins is I making mean, Peter Gabriel too, right? No, but Gabriel quits he Genesis. Left. He quits and leaves. But like No Jacket Required and Hello, I Must Be Going are like flip-flopped in between Abacab and the Genesis record and Invisible Touch. Like they're happening all at the same time. And the same thing here, like, and, and if, there's a lot of the Faces guys on these solo records as well. Like it's just kind of a, hey, it, a the, bizarre thing. on this record is Ron Wood, right? Yeah. Yes, that's correct. You like this bass record. Love it. Love it's it. Amazing. Don't you think he's super great? Yeah, super influential to me. Like one of the records I, I used to learn how to play. Like just fantastic. Oh, cool. But am I right about this? I mean, to my ear, he plays bass like a guitarist. Oh, totally. He's really out front. He's like kind of stepping on other instruments in yep. a likable way. Like it, that's one of the reasons why I love Seems Like a Long Time. Like the piano comes in, all of a sudden you're like, boo doo, boo doo. Yeah, no, no. He's just like totally he's not <laughs> having like, it. Wait, did the bassist just like step on top of the piano and he's like banging it right in the piano's face? Totally. Um, you I, have to I be a really good player to pull that off. But when you do, it's better than just going boom, 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 boom you know, like totally. I yeah. believe uh, they recorded it in 10 days. It sounds about just, right. It's pretty just, sloppy. I mean, it's one of the things it that's likable about it. Like It's totally. sloppy in a great way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, no. So good stuff. Uh, and Rod Stewart, I mean, uh, he hit some low lows later. Uh, yes. Oh, man. Era is so just peak after peak after peak. His voice, I mean, damn. 
like so and it's good. and that's a voice that that's you know i read an article about this like it's legit like he lost his voice all the time like it's not a convention that that throaty like yeah. the guy's voice is on the edge of collapse through his whole career what is the worst rod stewart hit single uh, like, what downtown, is his... downtown train really okay yeah just because it murders a song that's actually good that's not yes. but in my opinion I mean, it's got to be one of the disco ones. Yeah, is it? Uh, is it? Um, if you want my body. Oh yeah, that's a good one. I w- I was gonna say Young Hearts. Oh, that's a great one. Young that also sucks. Or a Passion. I'm gonna go with Passion. Do you remember oh, that one? Passion's terrible. Oh god. Wait, hold it's, on. All right. so before we do that, let me say one more thing. Yeah. Uh, Rod Stewart gets his start in the Jeff Beck group. Yep. Yes. If you like Rod Stewart and you haven't heard Jeff Beck Truth, absolutely positively. I think that, is that a 69 record? That was on 58. the list. Jeff Beck Truth is like one of my all time favorite records. It's a spectacular guitar record. It's on a par um, sonically with Zeppelin One. Like it's a tremendous, tremendous album. The next one's good too. Beck Ole is underrated. Beck Ole has got good stuff on it too, man. The this is how one. much of a prick an idiot Jeff Beck is. He runs Rod Stewart off from <laughs> that group. He could have just called themselves the the Faces. Yeah, he could have been the the guitarist, and he and Rod Stewart singer, and Jeff Beck could have been Led Zeppelin. Like they literally could have yeah. had a career. Instead, he's like, "Who needs Rod Stewart? Did you <laughs> the Jeff Beck group?" And Rod Stewart's like, "Well, that's weird. I'm gone." And he's like, "Fine. Good luck with that, Jeff Beck." Oh God. Yeah, All although right. Rod Stewart was so shy on the first Jeff Beck tour that he had to sing with his back to the audience. He no. was so nervous and freaked out on the first tour like that he couldn't face the audience for the first half an hour of the show. So Sounds it's like a, Andy Partridge. Yeah. Wow. All yeah. right. Well, we are we are not here for the the slur. Uh, the family um, wanted me to make sure that 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 was incredibly clear. Can't believe he put that in. Don't know why. I guess oh, dude. I mean, like, did it was Girl, like, there's a thousand songs about that exact topic. That's not. I mean, there's a bunch of weird racist Rolling Stones songs about African Americans. I mean, what are you going to do? That's that's uh, yeah. That's that's true. That we we could talk about that too. All right, we'll talk about that. Uh, maybe next week we'll do our, our our top three unfortunate lyrics of all time. Oh boy, um, no, thank you, Timmy. I'm not going to cancel the stupid <laughs> yeah. podcast. Jeez. All right, grand opening, grand closing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, safe travels, y'all. I'll and by the way, Timmy, great selection. Back in the saddle, we. Yeah, you're uh, yeah, welcome back. I'm gonna I'm gonna put passion on in the background for outro music while we say goodbye to each other. So, all right, it. that's great. Oh yeah. Oh, oh that's it. Hey, if you're having as much fun as we are, leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a rating on Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to podcasts, give us a shout. And then check us out on Twitter or at our Facebook page, 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. 
It's a talk show covering the changing world around us, from renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Pack podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electric Cast production. Electric Cast.